0: Hey, it's Jeff here. After working as an automotive tech for almost 25 years, I can honestly say that finding employment with the right shop has been the difference maker between loving what I do every day or hating my career choice. Let me tell you, I've been there. But I've also had jobs where work didn't really feel like work. I love the challenge of fixing cars. So loving what I do, that's the easy part. Finding a good place to do it in, now that's been the struggle. And that's where my friends at Promotive knock it out of the park. They're a recruitment company specializing in jobs for our automotive industry. A techs, B techs, master techs, service advisors, managers, you name it. They are constantly looking for applicants in automotive to link them with available job postings at only the best vested shops around the country. Promotive has a team of professional recruiters that can help you with your resume, prep you for the interview process, and negotiate the best pay and benefits package for you. And best of all, it's free to anyone looking to gain employment check them out at goldpromotivecom slash jeff gopromotive.com slash jeff just think you could be just five minutes away from finding your dream job it's shitty owners
1: everything can be tracked back to poor management poor ownership
0: so many of our crappy owners
1: are world-class technicians that get tired of working for crappy owners and want to go open their own shop but they never learned how to be a good owner
0: Good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to another exciting thought-provoking episode of the Jaded Mechanic Podcast. My name's Jeff and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey of reflection and insight into the toils and triumphs of a career in automotive repair. After more than 20 years of skin knuckles and tool debt I want to share my perspectives and hear other people's thoughts about our industry. Support yourself a strong coffee or grab a cold Canadian beer and get ready for some great conversation. Welcome back, everybody, with me tonight. Uh, a really good friend of mine, Mike Allen, is here. Mike is a whiskey connoisseur and a shop owner and um, has some very interesting uh, perspectives and stories. And uh, I'm very honored to have him on this podcast with me tonight. And uh, we're going to get to know Mike, I hope. So, Mike, how was your Thursday? Uh,
1: it was good, man. Uh, and thank you for having me. And I, I hesitate to start off with a correction but you said I'm a whiskey connoisseur I'm more of a whiskey consumer <laughs> but uh, I drink uh, all the yeah. whiskeys not just the snooty Not whiskeys. just the
0: snooty whiskeys yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't um, um, I don't partake no. in too much of the snooty stuff either um the the high end bourbon um, is for a different class of people than where I put myself <laughs> I,
1: I just try to hang out with Lucas yeah. a lot, and then he right. buys it. But it's, it's uh, so
0: – I mean, Brian Pollock made the joke that, like, you know, you probably saw it. Lucas had a very expensive bottle of and Brian's like, oh, I would definitely mix that with Dr. Pepper and drink it over ice. And Lucas, like, came unglued, right, because it's probably, you know. So you've had Diet Dr. Pepper and uh, Peppy Van Winkle. I mean, it's Yeah. Snooty whiskey. I mean, we're up here in Canada. We're known for our our whiskey. We have some pretty good stuff. But I've never. I don't buy the high dollar, high barrel stuff. I tend to strict to uh, stick to Crown Royal, which is our our one of our great Canadian gifts to everybody else. It's a you know,
1: it gets it gets the job done, man. It, it achieves the desire. It's effect. delicious.
0: So so starting out, what's uh um? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where you're located? Are you a multi shop owner now, Mike? You're up to three. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's yeah. correct. So the um, name of my business is Carfix. Um, three locations in, uh, in and around Raleigh, North yeah. Carolina. Um, you know, I have aspirations to continue to grow, but it's, it, the industry is all I've ever known. I grew up in my dad's shop. My dad grew up in his dad's wow. shop. So since 1937, that's kind of been what, what my family oh. has done interestingly uh my grandfather's shop was it was like the community center it was the gathering spot for single men because when he he built the shop when he before he got mm-hmm. married uh it was the feed lot for all the local farmers it was the grocery store and it was the auto repair facility and when he started out it was uh cars farm equipment and buggy right. uh, so we've got a picture of him with a model t on a drive-on lift and a buggy next to it. He was working on
0: them both. very uh, cool. so, very cool.
1: um, that was neat. My dad literally grew up in that shop because they lived, there was a, there was a bedroom, a living room and a kitchen built onto the back of, uh, the two bays, um, and the grocery store. Yeah. So that's where, the, that's where he grew up. Um, he said, I never want to be, uh, in the auto business and I'm going to go away to college He went to college and, uh, College was not for him and it dropped out and he started a family. He tried to do other businesses. He got sucked mm-hmm. back in. Um, he ended up opening his own shop and that's where I grew up. And I grew up, you know, busting tires and changing the oil and sweeping and taking out the trash. And I hated it and I'm not going to be in this industry. And I went away to college and college wasn't for me. And I dropped yeah. out and uh, I tried to do other things and I got sucked back in. <laughs> Um so Carfix was born in two thousand and four with the help of my mm-hmm. father. You know, and in, in total transparency, my father was the seed money for that. And it was before I was truly frankly before I was mature enough to have a business of my own. I went there as an employee yeah. and uh finally decided to start growing up a little bit and uh and ended up buying the business from my father. Uh in two thousand and nineteen I opened store number two, and two thousand twenty one opened store number three and and with any luck, and you know, number four won't be far right behind. On.
0: So, so you're definitely like when people say it gets in your blood, right? Like a, motor oil and grease is in it. It's in your. It's literally probably close to being in the DNA, right? When you think about like, it's one thing to go to the shop every day, but Grandpa lived on the back end of the shop, and then you guys grew up in there. That's 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 some strong lineage, man. That's that's pretty cool. I uh, I admire the heck out of that. You think it's just like when when you say your dad went to school for something else and and it wasn't for him and you went tried to go down a different way and it wasn't, is it just because, like, is it a personality thing that just makes you think that, or is it, like, I mean, obviously there's love for the industry. There's no question about that. But do you think there's something in your personality that just, like, it feels the most comfortable, this and this is like, You know, do you feel like this is like I say all the time? I feel like I was put here to do this. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, so for Dad, um, you know, he he is one of the smartest guys I've ever met. Right? Uh, He has a very low tolerance for. Or is this a rated PG podcast? No, you can uh, be
0: as organic, transparent, and as and as natural. We we don't. I'm not worried about this. The 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 few curse words that come out. Copy. It's for adults.
1: All right. Dad's got a very low tolerance for bullshit, Good. right? Um, and that's how he was raised. Um, our whole family is that way. And uh, he grew up in a very direct, very straightforward, you say what you mean, there's no window dressing kind of yeah. world. And he went away to university uh, from a very rural, very blue collar setting. And he was trying to go to engineering school. And you know, the academic, you know, the mental capacity was there. But he just couldn't put up yeah. with the reality that is university yep. life, right? Add to that, he uh, got married and, and was starting a family. Uh, he decided just to go start making mm-hmm. a living, um, and I can't fault him there. Um, my educational experience was way different. You know, I, I was very fortunate. By the time I came along, Dad had already started getting some coaching in his oh, business, right on, and so. Um, I got to witness that transition from like 120 cars a day at $80 a repair order. Uh, it was just a madhouse. You know, we would unload an 18 wheeler of tires every week into the warehouse in the back. And it was just, we were a high volume tire Mm -hmm. store and, you know, pull, pull a set of wires out of the trash and, and, uh, plug one on that made connection and send them to the dealership, uh, when it was misfiring that type of deal. Right. Um, and that transition from that to an actual repair and maintenance facility with uh, higher skill level technicians and uh, taking things seriously and training and, and raising labor rates to, to be able to give benefits and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. That happened while I was watching as a teenager, right? Good stuff. And dad made a conscious effort to teach me about running a business rather than to have me um, learning about, you know, Auto repair yep. and maintenance. So you know, I, I had a an understanding of theory of operation and systems and, and and that kind of thing. But really, you know, this you know the school quote unquote that I went to with Dad was you know, how to read a financial statement and um, what you should do for marketing and how to handle customers and how to deal with you know upset employees mm-hmm. and um, and things of that nature. And that. I owe everything to that because that set me up for success when I finally started. So was he there. a,
0: how big an operation are we talking about, Mike? Like, cause when you used to talk about like a, a tractor trailer load full of tires once a week and 120 car count day, like are, are we talking a pretty above average for the time and area facility?
1: Yeah. At the time, I think we, I think we were the biggest independent shop in oh, the wow. state. At the I think we were 18 wow, days. Okay. Um, and this was, you know, late mm-hmm. 80s. So there may have been some bigger, like pure tire right. stores, but we had uh, six quick lube bays, no pits, but we had six uh, bays that were full of GS guys just busting tires and changing oil wall uh, and alignment lift. And then the rest was, uh, you know, technicians. At the time, we probably just had CTEX, you know, uh, you know, to use that term, which is probably distasteful now, but we didn't have any real high school we didn't have any real high-skill guys yeah. at that time. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I understand that. So that's bigger than a lot of even the dealerships would have been back in the day for sure, right? Like you're talking 18 yeah. bays. Is, yeah. uh, I haven't worked in a, in a facility that big yet. We are the biggest dealer I worked at in Ottawa. We were one to uh, – we were about 14 bays um, in a big shop, which now <laughs> is not that big from a dealership standpoint.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, dealerships are throwing up forty-five yeah. bay service departments these days. But I
0: mean, yeah. for for me, back in two thousand and four, when I first walked in, it, I was like, holy jumping! This is, you know, this isn't like the little former converted gas station, you know, four bays that I'd worked in. It was, it was a big deal. That's pretty powerful stuff that your dad way back then was already making sure that you understood that, right? And I. Because, you know, we see it all the time, right? How second generation shop owners, right? Their father was a fantastic mechanic and they become a fantastic mechanic. But sometimes they don't learn the, I don't want to say the right stuff, but they don't learn necessarily the business side of it to really become exceptional, not just average. But, you know, you kind of you you didn't have i I don't want to say you didn't have the obstacles but maybe you were a little bit more prepared for some of those obstacles whereas some of the other shop owners that dad was a great mechanic i became a great mechanic he taught me how to set up this and the carb and that and the whole thing you your dad was focused on by the sounds of it making sure that you knew how to do this and make money at it and that's
1: Yeah. yeah he made all he made all those mistakes and then he was intentional in teaching me the lessons that he learned from those mistakes so that I get to make new, different, exciting mistakes, (laughs) but they're on a different level, right? So that's, you know, we should all aspire to do that for our kids is to uh, set them up for a success greater than the ones that you've already built yourself. And I I think
0: that's so key. I mean, I hope that I can, I mean, I'm just a small portion of this industry for sure. And I, you know, I'm don't have my fingers to the ground of everything that's going on. But I've, if I can see that trend change, right? When I see second generation and third generation shop owners, if I can see that trend kind of come out to where it's, they're finally starting to do coaching and they're finally starting to say, hey, this is what you know a proper way to set up your shop is. This is how you properly charge. This is your margins. If we can get that, we can turn this sucker around in, in a, a very short period of time, I feel. You know,
1: well, and we need to. Yeah.
0: And um,
1: you know, one of the things that you said a minute ago uh, kind of you know rang true uh, is that you have so many uh, second-generation guys that grew up learning how to be a very high-skilled technician, mm-hmm. and well, I mean, so many shop owners, yeah. right? No matter how they got there, uh, they are high-skilled technicians um, who are low skill business owners, for lack yeah. of a better term. Why is this industry the way that it is? Why, why can't we have nice things? Why is it so broken, right? It's because of, let's be honest, it's shitty owners, mm-hmm. like everything can be tracked back to, to poor management, poor ownership, yeah. you know, uh, and so many of our crappy owners are world-class technicians that get tired of working for crappy owners and when to go open their own shop, but they never learned how to be a yeah. good owner uh, and they fall into the same traps that the place they were working at fell into. But it takes five years for them to go from world-class technician to crappy owner. It's a slow, perilous, slippery slope down that to where they're ground down to an oven. and they start making crappy yeah. decisions and treating people yeah. poorly. And they don't realize that they've become the thing that they hated and they ran mm-hmm. away from. They bought
0: themselves a job, right? For all intents and purposes, like you just you jumped out of one frying pan into another frying pan because... And, and yeah. you know, and, and I don't mean to say that with any kind of disrespect, because I think for some people at the end of the day, if they didn't make five more cents or say at the end of the year, they didn't make five grand more than they made the year before, but they were in charge. It was theirs. Then I can understand that seeing to be still worth doing. Right. Because it's mine. I didn't make any extra money, but it's mine. I got to call the shots and I took all the responsibility and, the you know, the whole thing. I understand that. I can The pride thing. You can't pay your bills of pride, but some people just sustain, you know, sustain themselves on pride. I can't. I'm not going to fault people for it, but you know, I. It's just like you said. I see. So, it's a cycle, and it's. And I don't even. I used to get really mad at people, shop owners, when I saw the cycle happening all the time. Me sitting on the outside before I started to network with so many people like yourself and Lucas and David. And as I've networked with them, I realized it's not a malice thing that the cycle keeps going on. It's just lack of oversight lack of training lack of introspection like it's you know they don't know what they don't know as lucas says so they i mean it's just like
1: anybody starting out in a new Mm -hmm. career right you go from your career as a technician you get ground down you decide that your career is going to be a shop owner similar but there's a different mentality right and they're starry eyed everything's going to be great i'm not going to do any of the things that happened and they get ground down to a nub and then you know there's a value, right? So let's say, you know, technician Johnny's making $85,000 a year. He's fed up with the system and he goes and he makes $85,000 a year, but he did it his way and he was his own mm-hmm. boss and he wasn't answering to anybody but himself. There's a value yep. to that for a year or two or three. But if he's still making what he could make in a shop, he's got all the mm-hmm. risk. He's got all the exhaustion, the sleepless nights. You know, he's busting his ass 60 hours, 70 hours, 80 hours a week. And then he's got to go home and he's got to do the books or his wife is doing yes. the books or whatever else it might be. There's got to be an evolution towards being a business owner and away from being just, just uh, that rock star genius technician. That's, you know, if that's what you are and you don't want to evolve away from that, then I say, you know, just find a shop that you're happy with that treats you as valuable as you are, and yeah. stay there.
0: Because um, it's uh, not the best thing for the industry, right, Mike? If everybody like I, the scenario that I just laid out, where everybody, okay, so you go and you make the same money, but it's yours, it's your business, and you assume all the risks. That's really not what the industry needs, is it? Is is more people doing that? I mean, I think that's fair to say, and uh, you know, maybe it's a it's a not the most popular opinion, but I've I've heard others voice it. That The industry doesn't need more of these lone wolf kind of, you know, I'm going to do it my way and, you know, to heck with everybody else's thoughts. I think the the industry needs to, if we're going to fight the, the battles that are going to be ahead of us, and I don't want to say, oh, it's going to be the OEs versus us, but I mean, it probably will be something similar to that. Then we need to be much more unified and everybody going out and saying, I'm just going to try and, you know get myself treated better because I'm going to call the shots is not going to leave us much to have to work with when that battle arrives. none of this is starting to sound like a whole,
1: I mean, there will always be a segment of our industry that is that lone wolf mm-hmm. guy. Uh, and you know, that's okay. There's a segment of the consuming marketplace that wants yep. that, that individual. So that's fine. But to what you said, yeah, there's a portion of our industry that needs to go out of business, mm-hmm. that need to pack it up and go back to work for somebody else or go to a different right. trade. You know, and and when we're dealing with you know the tech, quote unquote technician shortage that we've got, uh, you know, it it seems counterintuitive to say that people need to leave the trade, but some of the people that are creating the reputation that our trade has <laughs> need to leave. Yeah,
0: what do you think is going to be like we've heard Lucas talk about barrier of entry and stuff like that. But what do you think is going to really start to push that to where we see? Like, is it just, do you think it's going to be an age out thing or not keeping up with the tech or just what? Not, do you need to have three shops in order to kind of have the, I don't want to say buying power, because that's like alluding to maybe, you know, more of a, how dealer groups operate? Maybe.
1: No, I mean, so you don't, you don't have to be a multi-store operator or some giant operation. And I don't think that technology or uh, access to information is going to run the little guy out of business anytime soon. Eventually, yeah. But I mean, the average car on my market has got, got 103,000 okay. miles. Uh, and so I know that that's going to be a lower number and a lower age the further north you get just because of rust yes. issues. But, uh, you know, there's still... of, uh, of vehicles are EV or whatever, uh, of new vehicle purchases in my market are Mm -hmm. EV, it's going to be a long time before the technology is so advanced that a one man show can't get things done. Um, and as long as we don't really screw it up and lose the right to repair fight in government, which I don't believe that we will, I think we'll, I think we'll stay ahead of that because I think ultimately politicians realize that the right to choose repair is popular with the voters. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I think we'll win that eventually. But uh, yeah, I don't think access to information or or the evolution of technology is going to run the little guy out of business for another 20 years Mm -hmm. or more. Will it be harder to be a single location operator and to be the little guy uh, moving forward? It will steadily get more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. But not in our career. And that's a problem for my kids if they t- if they want to take the business over. Frankly, uh, it doesn't mean I don't care about it. But it doesn't mean I'm not thinking about it. I am, you know, because it as you know, from a selfish perspective, I need to position my business to be ready for any evolution that's on the horizon uh, to set it up for success for my right. children or for whomever buys it from from me. If my kids don't want right. anything to do with it,
0: is that and that's you can know, I, I can I can I make the assumption that that's kind of a goal of yours is to see it go stay in the family only if
1: they're interested you know and uh my my oldest turns 13 in two weeks so i got Mm -hmm. time you know but in 10 years if any of them are interested i'll expect them to voice that that interest and get started in the business you know all through all through growing up in school i was busting tires and changing oil but when it became obvious that i was going to get involved in it i didn't come back and i was manager mike it was Actually, he threw me in the in the way back, the far back bay, and I was doing spray in bedliners, which is miserable work. Oh my god! But you know, they're going to need to work their way up through the company. Just you know, they need to understand what the folks uh, in each position of the business, what their life is like before they can lead. Yeah, I believe
0: that it's like that old analogy they say where it's like you should treat the the janitor with the same respect that you would treat the you know, vice president or CEO, because I mean, everybody is, is an, an essential part of that machine, you know? And I, I like that says a lot about your father's character to not just hand it to you on a silver platter, right. And make you really work for it. Cause I, I think, and again, this doesn't, is not me picking on a lot of owners that I have worked for, but I have seen it where, you know the the prodigal son just kind of you know is always around but doesn't really know what the tech does or doesn't really know and and you know then they take it over and you see that ship sink right And it's whether you can say okay well maybe people don't respect that person maybe it's jealousy whatever it is it's still sunk you know and uh,
1: well yeah and and don't get me wrong i i am not a technician but i understand that that's a blind spot and uh, my experience and in my perspective, I was a service advisor. Uh, you know, I think I was a pretty good one uh, for for a long time. So that's one of the reasons it's important to me that you know my right hand man in my company, the general manager over all my stores, uh, started off ten year, eleven years ago now with the company as a mm-hmm. technician, uh, and then he was a shop foreman, and then he was a store manager, and then he was a manager over all the stores, and he still goes to technical training along with. Management wow. training. So, uh, realizing that that's a blind spot, I need to have somebody who can tell me, "No, Mike, that's a mistake," or "You know, you're being a dumbass," or whatever it is, from a technical yeah. pr- perspective. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: I understand where you're coming from because I mean, and that's, but even not necessarily to be a tech, the fact that it wasn't just like you you drew a salary and got to hang around, you know, and and sit in the office and talk on the phone or something like the fact that you're
1: actually, oh, no, no, I had to earn yeah. it all. I mean, that didn't. You know, there was a there was a period of time when I came back to the business after I tried to do other stuff, um, and I say tried because really what I was doing was I was really good at whatever I wanted to do, but I only did enough to be able to keep the party going, you know, to keep the bar tabs paid and everything else. I was, you know, I, I was not uh, making good choices at that stage of my life, so it was good that I came back, but. I thought that you know i was just going to hang around until dad decided he was done and then he was going to give everything Mm -hmm. to me and i think he was perceptive enough to realize that in my immaturity that's what i thought Um, and there was a a very distinct period of about three weeks where uh, he had me read a few books and he had me have some long conversations and meet with you know his core group of advisors and it was like this business exists to take care of our customers and take care of our team and to take care of this family. Yeah. And this business is always for sale. If somebody comes in with a briefcase full of cash and there's enough in there, it's gonna be sold tomorrow. And so when, it, when I am no longer a part of this business, it's gonna, be because some, it's gonna be because someone purchased it. That can be you or it can be someone right. else. And it's like, oh shit, well, I gotta pay attention and I, I'm gonna have to buy this for yeah. And it was a process. Uh, over several years, I, I would buy shares cool a little piece at a time as I could. So, you know, it was kind of a bubble burst for me was that, Oh wait, (laughs) I'm going to have to be a grown ass man and do this.
0: So (laughs) sometimes though, the roads that we take like that, right. It's, it's, you, you don't see the value in the lesson at the time. Right. But I think it, it, we are, we are who we are because of what we go through. I believe that. And
1: yeah, it was about the time that I was getting married and I was, I was getting out of my, my wild child hmm. phase and, I was not resentful of it at all. It made by the time he shared it with me, it made sense. Uh, but if it had been, you know, if it had been when I was 19 years old, I probably would have been butthurt hurt about yeah. it. But
0: you know, that's so maturity. Matters. When, when you touched on the on the technician shortage, and you kind of gave some air quotes, let let me hear your thoughts on like, you, is it a, in your mind? Can we say that it is definitely a real thing, but is it over exaggerated? Maybe a little bit. I know. I got a lot of thoughts on that. I think that's why I asked. There's
1: a tech. There's a technician shortage for people that don't pay mm-hmm. well, for people that uh, are abusive, for people that don't treat others with respect, the people that don't charge enough to be able to do all those yes. things. Uh, one of the things that uh, Lucas we'll speak to commonly is you've got to be profitable enough to take care of things when it goes off the rails. Mm -hmm. Cause if you don't have enough money to take care of things when they go off the rails, that creates an incentive to do things that are sketchy, right? You know, we made an honest mistake and we blew that lady's motor up and she doesn't need to pay for a motor. We need to eat it. Well, if you're profitable, you've got the money in the bank to eat it and it's not the end of the world. If you're struggling to make payroll and you need to eat an $8,000 motor, that's a bigger yeah, problem. Is- well, maybe you're saying, well, Miss Jones, you know, we had no way to knowing that this happened and you're going to need to, you know, uh, I feel really bad this happened. You know, we'll, we'll help you out and we'll, we'll give you a, uh, you know, uh, employee yeah. discount on that or, you know, whatever Do it, it costs or something, crap. but we're yeah, not responsible. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's just a shit yeah, unfortunate yeah. luck, but here's one at cost. And let's bump our labor rate down and yeah. yeah. Or, you know, yeah. and when you say sketchy stuff, it's like when they say okay mr mr tech or mrs tech um that's a that's a that's a crappy mistake that's a terrible thing that happened you put the thermostat in upside down or whatever right the overheated the engine killed it blah 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 you're going to donate that labor to change that out and you know so that i'm i'm i'll never be on board with that ever
1: 100% so I had, I had an epiphany at the ETI conference in Albuquerque with Brian mm. Um and okay, tangent. Yep. The first time I ever saw your name okay. was uh, a conversation with Lucas okay. Underwood. And uh, I think it was two years ago, we did a Facebook live uh, to announce registration for ASTE. Mm-hmm and uh it was like an hour long and it was Lucas and David and I and one or two other people and we were just kind of just blabbering talking mess and i went on a rant about how flat rate is not evil and was not the cause of all the problems in the world and you had sent him a message that said i don't know who this mike allen guy is but i want to punch him in his fucking face <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> yeah i remember something and uh
1: and I was like, I don't know who this Jeff Compton guy is, but I don't want to have a drink with him. <laughs> and yeah, here we are. But yeah. And, and yeah. here we are. But yeah, you know, the, the oh my gosh, I, I went off on the tangent and I lost my point. The
0: flat rate thing and why I was so vocally against it. And you are. Yep. And, and my epiphany with Brian and Albuquerque.
1: Mm. So I was raised in my dad's shop and, um, I've only ever worked for my dad or for myself and I've never worked in another shop. I've never worked in a dealership. And so the entirety of my perspective was in that world. And so I've been like, you know, flat rate is not the problem. The problem is crappy owners. The problem is people who don't charge enough to be able to pay enough or people who don't market well enough or don't employ advisors that are talented enough to keep the bays full so that the technicians have more cars than they could ever possibly work on. Because flat rate works great if you have more cars than you can ever possibly work on and service advisors who can sell everything. You are not wrong. Right. You don't, you don't need to be unethical. You don't need to make shit up. You just, just feed the machine, you know, and you just have a building full Mm -hmm. of animals. And I, I always wondered why that was so hard to understand. Yes. And when flat rate derails, in my mind, it was because there's not enough cars, because the owner's not doing their job of marketing or the advisors aren't doing their job of converting phone calls or selling the things that are found, or the technicians aren't doing good checklist yep. and finding the things that are needed or they're, you know, poor quality work, yep. you know, whatever. And I was, you know, sitting, um, having a conversation with Brian and, and some other folks and, uh, he was, you know, he, his whole company and he has three yes. stores also, he's a, he's yes. a technician. Uh, they're all yep. salary. There's no incentive-based pay yep. in his company, and he's so strongly opinioned about you know how terrible flat rate is. He was telling me about all the times he got screwed as a flat rate technician in his mm-hmm. career at independents and at yep. dealerships, and the examples were all people coming in the back and saying, uh, or or not even saying anything to him, just taking yes. time away, just changing yes. the time, and I was gobsmacked. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean they're changing it? that? Yeah. That, You're kidding me, right? How would, why don't you just pack your shit up and move out, right? he's like, because everybody Mm -hmm. does it. (laughs) It never even occurred to me that that was a thing. If I'm cutting the price, you know, because I screwed up as a service advisor or as a manager, I'm giving a concession to the customer and we're taking dollars away. That, those dollars come from the owner. They don't come from the technician. The time stays the same. The dollars change. Yeah. I had no appreciation that it was a thing that if the business owner decides to cut profit that they're then going to take money away from the person who did the work. That's bonkers to me.
0: Yeah, it is. And when you say it out loud, it's still amazing that so many do it. And I want to apologize because you know i feel like our mutual friend lucas like he 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 puts you out there a lot of times as this you know massive proponent for flat rate and i don't think that's quite the case but it was a situation of i'm a very brian and i are, are brian and i talk every day a lot and and you know we have hours of conversations recorded you know through our rants about you know this is you know, flat rate did this to the, the industry and flat rate did this to that job and all that kind of stuff. And flat rate did this to me. And this is why I feel this way. All are very valid points. So I was coming when that, when that happened, I was coming from a place where it's like, I wasn't getting the whole perspective. Right. It was kind of like you were and and I was like, Oh, Lucas, who is this Mike? Guy? His head so far up his butt. I don't know how he can see to get home. And, and I want to apologize because, like I have said before, that flat rate can certainly work, and I would be a hypocrite if I said that it doesn't work because I made a lot of money. I did it for a lot of years. But it, it is something that, unfortunately, and I'll say it again in this industry, there are too many people that use it as a Band-Aid instead of using it as the, the good tool that it can be. It, it well, Lucas says the same thing. It is a Band-Aid to cover up for incompetent, inept, poor management is what it is you know
1: yeah 100 percent so yeah and, and- yeah I, I believe that every style of compensation has underlying limitations and problems that can be addressed with management with ownership uh, owning the situation uh, and they're just challenging and difficult in different ways you know i'm I have evolved my opinion to Um, The place that if there's a technician that I believe has got the skill set that we need and the, you know, the aptitude and the attitude right, that we want him or her to be a part of our company, I'm going to pay them how they want to be paid. They want flat rate. Great. Because that's my preference. It still is. My preference is Mm -hmm. flat rate. If they want salary. Okay. If they want a base plus a bonus, that's fine too. Uh, I'm not going to lose somebody because they want salary. I'm not going to lose somebody because they want flat rate. I'm going to pay them how they want to be paid. Now there's going to be varying levels of accountability. Sure. You know, if they're true flat rate with no minimum guarantee, and I've got a ton of bays, and I'm not dying for space, and they're performing, you know, 30 hours in a 45 hour week, well, if I'm not squeezed for base space, okay, if they're okay with that. I'm okay with that. Whatever, because it doesn't cost me yeah. anything more. Now, if they want $120,000 salary. And they're turning 30 hours in a 45 hour week, unless all they are doing is high level diagnostics and electrical problem solving and, and wiring, yeah. then I got a problem. And they got a problem.
0: That's fair. That so, is fair. I mean,
1: so, you know, the, the level of it's a, there's an inversely proportional level of accountability with guaranteed income versus variable income. You know, additionally, uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I very much get soapboxy on this kind of no. stuff. uh, it it all comes down to shitty owners, though. Yeah. Uh, good owners can make any pay plan work. Uh, if you have enough good people, if you're in a very rural market and there just aren't enough good humans, mm. that's a yeah. problem. I'm fortunate that I live in a, in a medium-sized metro area, and there's enough good technicians out there that I can yeah. find them.
0: Yeah, I you know because we've heard the the you know the proponents and people say. Well, there isn't a shortage of, of technicians. There's a shortage of competent, qualified technicians, and I have always retorted, responded back to that with, "Well, qualified is depending on what you need them to do, right? If you hire a, you know, a C tech, and if I screw this up, I apologize because it's up in Canada. We don't tend to use A, B, C too much. And as technicians, I mean, we speak the same alphabet, but I mean, we yeah. don't tend to use that classification." So if you hire a C-tech and then you're trying to give him more drivability or her than they have ever seen with no training and no tooling, you cannot really call them incompetent. It's like trying to take a fish and say, I'm going to take that fish and I'm going to throw it off my back deck and I want to see how far that fish flies, right? It's not going to go well. So, and conversely, if you take a guy that is very strong on, you know, drivability, electrical programming and stuff like that, and you give him an engine job, that has to come in and out in a rusty old car in, you know, the flat rate book time, no adjustment for whatever. And he doesn't knock that out of the park or she does not knock that out of the park. Again, you know, people fit in certain roles. And if we can identify as an owner or a shop manager, whatever you want to call it, if we can identify where people fit in the role that they're best suited for, are you really the best manager or owner for your role probably not right that's 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 a bold statement to make but i think that's the case i think okay. in order to be successful as a manager especially you have to be able to recognize skill sets and you have to be able to put those people and some people are just not we've heard lucas talk about you know not every shop needs a top tier diagnostic and drivability tech, and that is true, and a lot of techs don't like to hear that because right now the the popular thing is to, to push yourself to be really good at drivability electrical and really good at diag, and that's where the future is, and that's where the money is, and none of that is necessarily false. But you have to walk that line because if you get too much like that, you can really pigeonhole yourself into, you may have to move away from the area that you're in to get the money that you think you're worth. You know, if there isn't a huge demand for it outside of a dealership network for somebody that, you know, you're in a tough spot, you really are. So I think,
1: you know, what you and I probably define as a a true top tier technician who uh, is able to address almost anything that you throw at them. Only 5%, maybe less of technicians need to be that, right? And, uh, you know, most. I would say most shops don't need that individual if their area has a mobile diagnostician, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, who has that because most shops can't afford that person. Right. So, I mean, you know, it's probably the people who listen to this podcast, the technicians that listen to this podcast are probably already trending towards that top 5%, maybe the top 1%, (laughs) right? Yeah that makes me <laughs> if
0: that makes me feel good if you think that that's my, my clientele well, or my my listening listener base yeah yeah we would all take that as a compliment for sure
1: well they they choose to spend their free time learning about their field yep. and their trade uh not just the technical aspects of learning but also what's happening in their trade um and that is not typical right uh so um You know, there's a higher percentage of the people that are going to hear this that match that 5% descriptor, right? That need to be at the best shops. You know, that's one of the things that I consider as we're growing our company. I've got three very different locations. I've got 13 bays, uh, 7 bays, and 4 bays. I've got a rural, rural rural-ish, you know, uh, commuter community. I've got a downtown uh, metro, and then I've got a university uh on just off campus right so very different customers very different uh you know demographics uh they've got more or less money right but i don't need a you or a brian uh in every shop yeah yeah i i probably need one in the company but what i've got is a you know there are tools now available for communication i i can't imagine that there's not some cadre of world-class technicians that you guys have that you communicate every day in a group about problem solving and, Hey, this is what I've got. You know, I've seen some of the Facebook groups and they're trash, you know, but private communication. So we've got slack in our company Mm -hmm. and there's a general chat with everyone in the company. And then there's a technical chat with all the technicians. And then there's a shop foreman chat with just the shop foreman. Uh, and then there's just just the service advisors, right? So, um, you know, find those peers that you identify with that you feel like you can, you know, iron sharpen yes. iron, with, uh, you know, and, and trade information with each other and communicate daily, what every is- day. I've got a group of three other shop owners in other parts of the country, and we talk every single day. I was texting with them be- right before yeah. we logged on.
0: What a fantastic tool that is for you and your company. To have actually set that up in terms of you know because for all intents and purposes the tech at another location gets to know who is for all intents and purposes who his partners are that aren't even necessarily in the same building as him right and you can spitball problem vehicles across that all day long like this is that's exactly what a lot of my DM chat is all day long right is either sharing memes and jokes and and you know funny stuff or it's discussing this industry. And it's discussing problem vehicles. And I got to thank you for putting me in the classification of Brian as terms of like, you know, top tier talent, because I follow that guy around and just like, I am not at his level, not even close. I can ask Brian any question and he has the answer for it. And if I had like, I could ask Brian about a hundred problem cars and he would be able to have the answer. He never really needs to contact me about a problem car. He is on a next level for me. I would, I was talking with a young apprentice that just started with me today. And this is me kind of just bragging about Brian a bit. And we said, I said to him, I said, I talk with some pretty smart guys, you know, quite often in this industry. I said, and I would put them probably in the top 20% of, you know, skills. And when I said, that guy, Brian... If we had a skills competition with some of the top techs in the country and say you gave them a a network problem, an ecotech timing job, uh, a transmission pull uh, and a set of ball joints, all four would probably get through all the jobs. But I bet you at the end of it, Brian finishes all four of those vastly different jobs faster than anyone else. And that's what he is truly. And he hates, you know, he's very downplays his abilities and he's very modest and Oh, shucks. And, you know, the guy is incredible.
1: Incredible. What a smart guy. What he knows. You can just tell when you're sitting and talking to him, that dude's got something going on up there more than yeah. most of us.
0: And and it's not just the, the technical ability to be able to pro, pro, troubleshoot this. He has had so many different engines apart, transmissions apart, differentials that he doesn't even talk about. You know what I mean? And he just does. It's not like he gets through it. He like, he kills it. Like, I mean, he does phenomenal on the time and the quality and the way it's done. He's just, he's next level and that's, and it's probably fine. And I'm not trying to make him blush and all that kind of stuff or, but yeah, if, but he is, he is- well,
1: I need to ask Brian a question, uh, cause I know that he'll listen to this eventually. I don't know how long it might be two or three weeks before this, uh, is released. I imagine, yeah. but, uh, Brian, if you listen to this, you got three shops now, brother. I mean, is it time for you to not be uh, not be that guy anymore? Do you need to bring that guy into the company so that you can focus on the other things? Yes. I think you really enjoy being that guy. Yeah, him and I talk about that so, all the
0: time, and he has he definitely gets emotionally invested into what all three of the locations are doing, right, and how they're doing and everything else, and he takes it as a, as a very serious responsibility that he wants to see. You know, he wants to be the waves that raise all ships, right? He wants to be that, and that's. I love that about them. I mean, I there's an, another person, well, there's a, people I know that are just as passionate and crazy about this industry and want to see it. Well, I, I surround myself with them. I intentionally do that. It is only because of them that I'm still in this. It is only because of them that I'm sitting here talking to you, right? It is only because of those people that I have met through these, you know, you, you mentioned the shitty Facebook groups. I hung out in those for entirely too long and I still do. You know, and it was never a situation of trying to you know, belittle anybody or anything. It's just trying to, I wanted to make it something that I think at the end of it all, it'll never get to. And it's like, I wanted it to be IATN, but on Facebook and it will never get to be IATN on Facebook. And that's okay. But I
1: I think the dudes that made IATN so amazing when it was at its prime are all retired. And I think the, I think this generation just communicates Mm -hmm. differently. Mm. Uh, and I think that, you know, each medium has its, has its time. And I think it's harder to get to, you know, like my memory of IATN at its peak was, was some of dad's text using right. it. Right. Um, and it was, snow no bullshit, just the facts, uh, you better have done your due diligence before you go yes. asking or you're going to get just destroyed. Huge. Uh, no stupid questions, uh, and, and I feel like, uh, modern social media groups, there's so much bullshit that you can't get that very like dense, uh, you know, calorie rich food, you know, uh, just, it's just very dense, high quality content with not a lot
0: of fluff. Like I, I saw, I don't think that's, I saw somebody post a question about a brake pedal problem and they called it a grand caravan. They didn't state what year, and I'm shaking my head ready to pull my, throw my phone out the window because I'm like, okay, so I've seen Grand Caravans way back in 1998, and I've seen them in 2022. Like, what are we talking about here? What system do you have? And then it's just like me from three years ago would have been just absolutely sideways and would have probably berated that poster. And and instead, I was, I still made a response. But it wasn't nearly that uh, caustic because there's just no point. There's just no point. You know, it's not that that person is. I look at it this way: it's not that that person is dumb, but it it really shows when that person works at a dealership and they're reaching out on a Facebook group that's not even brand specific, and that's the ability that the question that they post. And I so I retort with. Go back and ask your shop foreman to help you and let us know what it is that you're actually working on. Three years ago, I would have said my, like I would have just lost my mind. So (laughs) growth. But I mean, it's a situation of, I just think that that is the new generation now that is coming into this industry. That is just how they communicate. That is just how they talk. That is how they give us problems. And it's like, here it all is. Tell me what to do next. And whereas if you'd have been on IATN and you'd have posted that, You'd have been like your butt would have been on fire. You'd have been lit up so bad. So all I tried to do was to try to make it more like IATN. And I finally have accepted and realized that it never will be. And that's okay. I just, you know, it's, I, I shift my direction to something else. It's not about necessarily solving. And it never was. It never was about in a Facebook group for me about trying to give somebody the answer to fix the car. It was to try and teach people how to better fix cars. How to better diagnose cars. I realize now that those people when they're on Facebook they are merely looking for the fix for the car. Looking for somebody to do yes. it for them.
1: They're not trying to no. learn. They're trying to get an yeah. answer.
0: And I so coming back around a flat rate, Mike, that was one of my things that I always had as as a as a as a negative for it is because I saw too many really good talented techs that lost some of that passion of like trying to diagnose it and take the challenges on because it's just like, listen, I just want to get this bugger fixed and out of my bay to get the next one, you know? So,
1: a couple of, couple of thoughts come to mind. One, uh, I want to talk about uh, Paul's post about charging for yep. learning. Uh, I think that was a great conversation that came from that post. Um, and two, flat rate preventing skilled guys from becoming more skilled because they got to beat the clock yet again is a symptom of an owner who hasn't taught his service advisors to sell diagnostic mm-hmm. time, initial diagnostic, secondary diagnostic, tertiary diagnostic. You need to be willing to pick up the phone and call again. And you can't call again unless you've laid the foundation that, Hey, yeah, yeah, Jones, We see this kind of, we see, you know, check engine lights on these vehicles all the time. We get permission to start off at $175. That's going to cover our initial testing, inspections and evaluations. We're going to have one of two conversations when I call you in a couple of hours. It's going to be, hey, Ms. Jones, here's what we found. Here's the test that we've done. Here's what we believe needs to be done. We know that this is bad and we've got to replace that. We'll complete the testing procedure after we replace what we know is bad. And If there's anything else that you should be aware of, we'll let you know. That's one of the conversations that we might have. The other conversation is, well, here's what we found out so far. We've done X, Y, and Z and here are the results. And we still don't have a definitive answer. We still need to do A, B, and C. Now, the next step on that is I should have an answer for you, you know, by tomorrow afternoon, uh, and it's gonna require an additional mm-hmm. investment. Do I have your permission to get started? Yeah, and you can color that however right. you want to. But if we've prepared the client that you're gonna have one of those two conversations and you're gonna start off at, you know, whatever the initial cost mm-hmm. is, and you're either gonna get an estimate for a repair mm-hmm that might not be the end of the road because there might be more after that repair, or you're going to get a request for authorization on more testing. Well then, you know, it's okay. You know, you don't have to feel pressured to cut the corners, to learn what Mm -hmm. you're doing. You can do that because you have faith in your team up front to sell the time. Is everybody in my company doing that effectively? No. Okay. But I would say that 75% of my advisors are. So, you know, it's a constant struggle. You know, that's one of the, that's one of the things that is, uh, Difficult going from one location where you're on site every yes. day and you're involved every day to going to multiple locations where you have to have you have to place your trust in others to carry the torch right. for you, yeah. Right, and you have to understand that uh, they're not going to care as much as you, yes, and they're not going to uh, put in the same level of effort that you will. And you've got to come to terms with, well, maybe if this you know, uh, and if this is just an audio recording, let's say that I'm holding my hand around my chin. If this is what the average in the market is, and this is what I am with one location, because I'm there every day and I'm talking to every single customer and my hand's way up in the air. And when I go multi-location and I have to have other people who are doing it and I can't have my hand on every car, maybe that comes down an inch or two, but it's still way above what the general industry is. You got to be okay with that. Yeah. If that's not okay, if you can't come to terms with that, then you need to just have one awesome, kick-ass location that's the best in mm-hmm. town, and that's okay. You can do that too. So I don't know. It, it's yeah. I don't even know where we started with that. I'm sorry. I just go I was off just and- going to say
0: because you know when you mention how they'll never be as invested as you will, right? That that I think it, it's the fact that when I hear people lament about that and they're just like, I can't understand why you know, to you, it doesn't seem so simple or why, you know, why you're not giving, you know, they say, well, you're not giving a hundred percent. Your hundred percent when it's yours will be different than my hundred percent that I give you when it's yeah. you're hundred percent. When you lose your house, if things yeah. go tits up. Yeah. Right. And that's, a, you know, it's, it sounds like a very jaded attitude to take from it, but it's, it's just reality. You know what I mean? Like, yes, you have a lot on the line. You have a lot of risk right? It's yours. Just like you said, you know, if you have three stores and people come in and don't perform well and you lose a store, that's a huge loss, right? That person that works. Look, this. I, I, got a ten, I got a 10 year lease. If I
1: have to close that store, yeah. the rent still is due for the next however many years. I got to deal with that problem and that you know, I'm committed to that.
0: <laughs> so. You know, those people may lose a job, but they find another job, right? You. Place. Yes.
1: everybody in our industry can find another job tomorrow.
0: Um, So going back to the flat rate thing, not that I want to pound that into the ground, but I mean, <laughs> but it's an interesting, it's an interesting perspective to have you here and to be able to discuss it. So how do you think when a shop, because here's always been my gripe and Brian's gripe as well. And a lot of people's gripe. When you look at a traditional flat rate system and you say, okay, you're going to go in there and you're going to do flat rate. You're all necessarily paid the same amount per hour. Then it just becomes about how many hours you're selling, right? And if you're heavy diag, heavy programming, heavy wire repair, whatever it is, the nightmare cars, the problem child, it's really hard to produce the hours, right? You heard my original podcast years ago where I was like, don't even mention the word production to me. Talk to me about proficiency. Show me what you can fix. I'm not impressed by your hours. And I that is still on my core. But I mean, I now, if somebody says, well, what kind of money do you make in this industry? Okay. How do you pay that person that's going to get those nightmare cars? What's the, you know. Well,
1: so the, the first, yeah, the first issue is that you operate on the assumption that everybody makes the same amount right. per hour in a flat rate system. And that's, that's not no. okay. You know, the, the 22 year old kid who, you know, went to tech school and he can't got out of NASCAR tech mm-hmm. or wild tech or whatever it is. And when he was, you know, 20 years old, um, he doesn't make the same yeah. as you, right? Because he doesn't have the same experience. He doesn't have the same uh, efficiency. He hasn't built half of his own tools, you know, the way that you may have. So, you know, the answer to that question is, I mean, there are many answers to it, right? But if you're saying from a purely flat rate place, let's say that I only played paid flat rate. That was the only thing that I did. Well, the dude who gets all the problem cars and the hard issues and and just the testing, maybe he only does diagnostics, and then we pass off what he finds to yep. the next guy. Well, if he's on flat rate, he's got to make fifty five, sixty, sixty five dollars an hour, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and that kid that we just described is probably twenty five dollars an hour because we're comfortable with him doing brakes or suspension and chassis work, but you know we're not going to give him any drivability or, or noise diagnostics or anything of that nature. So. And there's a spectrum, all, you know, from, from that bottom end all the way to the, the high mm-hmm. end, right? In, in my company, um, most of the really high guys have a guarantee uh, because I know that they're going to get the problem cars or they're going to get the comebacks or, or they're going to help unscrew the things that the young guy yes. screwed up, right? And so uh, they're not going to be able to have the same level of efficiency. So they have to have some kind of guarantee. Um, but I still want them to have a portion of their income that is performance based because when they kick ass and take names, they need to get rewarded yes. for that, yep. right? Because maybe, God willing, there's a couple of weeks where we don't have a bunch of problem mm-hmm. cars and all we're doing is just, you know, just killing it, and they need to be killing it on a higher level than yep. the young guy. I, I was listening to one of your episodes. I think it just released. It was the episode with with Brandon it just Dills. dropped
0: on Tuesday. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. And, um, and you know, Brandon's a good dude. And uh, you're talking about how uh, low school guys make more than high school guys because high school guys get the hard stuff and low school guys only get the gravy. And when they screw it up, the screw up goes to the high school guy to Cause fix Because now
0: we really need it fixed. Right? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like in my mind, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. If that was the reality in my business, I would also hate flat mm-hmm. rate.
0: <laughs> That's what I, there's so much that gets lost on us when we, when they, oh, you know, you guys are just, you're so anti-flat rate and I don't understand why. I keep reminding people that we're talking when we're talking in ASOG, you're talking to in the industry and you're talking to people that are pro f- flat rate. You're talking to 2% within the industry that actually. Implement it properly and it works for them. The rest of us, most of our experiences in flat rate has been from a dealership standpoint where it's like you walk in the door and if you have, you know, an ASE or whatever certified, say you got a Ford master training, blah, blah, blah. You top out at this. The guy down the bay from you could have the same certs and not be able to fix a sandwich. And he's going to make the most. He's going to make the same hourly wage as you. And you know what? Because he's not fed the the problem child, he's going to take a better paycheck home most weeks out of the year than you will, because they just can't dispatch so, him the, that kind of work. But we need him to get the breaks done. We need him to get the the, the appointments in and out the door, and we've got to. So you're rewarding incompetence. Well, a, very much so. Yes, you know, and that's and so that the, the anti hate or the hate of flat rate for me comes from that because I was. I was above average in ability in terms of problem solving. And I watched the guy that, and he wasn't dumb, but man, he played like he was dumb. You know what I mean? Like he just pretended like he couldn't solve the problem. And so it didn't today, feed him that kind of work. And he just.
1: So today I was home with the kids because it's summer kids were yeah. out of school and uh, our childcare situation dictated that I had to work from home. One of the things that happened today was uh, I was asked since I was home to take my boys, I've got a soon to be 13 year old and a 10 year old and my eight year old daughter, take them and get their haircut. And okay. so I got, I got, I got no interest in that, right? My kids got no interest in the haircuts. It's, it's always a big thing. And so I take them and my middle child wants to get a mohawk. And so <laughs> I said, great, get a mohawk buddy. It's going to be awesome. Woof, straight, like the yeah. whole deal. I'm never going to be asked to go (laughs) take the kids to haircuts again. So, you know, mission failed successfully, right? So my son is thrilled, my wife is not, I never get tasked with that again. So that guy was failing the mission successfully so that he can make more money being lower skilled.
0: Every time, Mike, I have a conversation about flat rate and and that scenario unfolding, I'm going to think about your son's (laughs) Mohawk. That's for that. Because I was going to ask, well, what does Mrs. Allen think? And you obviously, I don't even have to ask. I can just picture. She's, when you say she's not thrilled.
1: (laughs) I know. I knew what she would think before it happened.
0: Yeah. (laughs) He said,
1: Dad, can I get a Mohawk? And I said, Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So. That's where it comes from for me is is the distaste for it, right? It's because it was used against me for too long to keep everybody equal, right? Well, what are you complaining about? You still made 45 and and big deal. He made 55 or big deal. He made 50 because I was never going to be number one ever. There was just the system's not set up where if I had to do, you know, 12 really complicated diags that week and he had to do none, He's just going to get more breaks and flushes than me. And if we're all the same, yeah. if it pays out at 24 an hour and he sold 55 and I sold 42, that's a big whack of change difference. For me that was like, you know, getting the the, the problem ones done because like Brendan and I talked about, if you don't get the problem cars solved, you can't sell them the flush next time that they come in. You can't do it. So to me, I was-
1: well, and that was the, that was the epiphany with Brian was now, now I kind of understand it because it never even occurred to me that that would yeah. happen, right? Because, uh, you know, we compensate, it's a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. If you prove yourself to be valuable, you earn more yeah. money. If you prove yourself to be a dumbass, you probably don't stay with the company, right? But in understanding more where uh, Brian and, and you and other guys who just hate flat rate or come from, I get it, you know, it makes more sense to me now. But I hope that I can also help you guys and others understand that uh, flat rate is not the problem, It's shitty management or or poor owners or um, lazy owners Mm -hmm. that are the Mm -hmm. problem. And any pay plan will be bad if you've got a terrible owner. If you got a terrible manager yeah. and uh, any, not any, but almost any PayPal can be a home run if you're in a, an awesome organization. Yeah.
0: yeah. So what, how do you set it up? Uh, maybe I don't want to ask like to divulge some secrets, but I mean, the the conversation kind of came up at some point uh, about, you know, how do you set up the, how do you put them on the scale balance as to who's more who do you compensate better financially? Do you compensate your really high performing tech, or do you compensate hire your high performing advisor? I mean, it's two different
1: things. It's apples and oranges, right? My highest performing techs make more than my highest performing service okay. advisors, okay, but not by a lot. Right. Um, my highest—I mean, you know—a high performing tech without technicians, nothing happens. Yes, right. Without service advisors, the technicians will still sell some stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, something will happen, right? It might not be on the same level. Um, that being said, a really high skill advisor is really high value because he's going to feed three or four tech, three or four high level technicians, yes. he or she. I mean, I've got uh, it's not an equal split, but I'm, I'm working towards that. So, you know, everybody's on a performance based plan of one form or another mm-hmm. with a couple of exceptions. I have a couple of dudes that are just hourly, you know, very low level entry level guys who are learning. Um, or, you know, retirees who work part-time, that kind of stuff. And all of those performance-based plans are tied to the same key metrics. So everybody wins together or everybody loses right. together. Um, and I want all of them to win because the more they win, the more yep. I win. Yep. Right. And so, you know, is, you know, I look at it like, you know, my job as the owner is to bring the right people in the business. It's to provide the right equipment so that they can get the job done and make sure that the facility is up and running and to make the phone mm-hmm. ring. I, if I put the right people in place, I provide them with the right equipment and the right training and I make the phone ring constantly, everything else should run, right? Because the advisors are going to convert the inbound phone calls to customers and convert the DVIs to sales. And the technicians are going to diagnose things and do a quality DVI and do the work in an efficient manner, you know, without a lot of comebacks and that kind of thing. and. It all just kind of, it it runs like a sewing machine. It's amazing to watch in action when things are going right. Um, But if any one of those pieces of the machine screws up, it's a train wreck. So there's a lot of pressure on me that I have to have good people in every position in the business or it negatively impacts everybody's Mm -hmm. income. So it works really well or it works really poorly. There's no yeah. in between.
0: Yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem to be, right? So, like I see either really, really well-performing shops or I see train wrecks, you know? Well, I mean, well not train wrecks, but, you know, shops that have a lot of improvement to make, maybe is a better way to say it. I
1: mean, I think Lucas and David have been talking a lot lately on their podcast about there was some shop owner they spoke with that was doing a, like one and a half million dollars in revenue and had no yeah. money. You couldn't pay the yeah. bills. Um. That, I think that is way, way more common than people have any Mm -hmm. idea of, Uh, you know, I think Lucas touts the statistic that I think came from, I don't remember where it came from, but it's that the average automotive repair shop is netting 5% and it's appalling to him and to me and to the people that listen to the podcast and people in the groups, because the people that listen to the podcast and the people in the groups are already on the front end of that bell curve, right? But the large majority have never even heard of yeah. ASOG or of Changing the Industry or of Jaded Mechanic or of Vision yeah. even, or ASTE. They live in a bubble and they live on an island and they're by themselves and they're just, you know, languishing in their yeah. ignorance.
0: It's the same on the tech side because it's like I still see countless young people and I see countless established technicians that if I say Paul Danner, they have no idea who I'm talking about. And I mean Paul laughs because it seems like he gets mentioned in every in every episode, but it's just I, you know, it it is what it is, Paul. Because I can't, I'm honestly, I'm dumbfounded now that when young people like up here, for instance, right when we do our apprenticeship training, when they go into the these classrooms and they and they go into what we call these blocks of, you know, for all intents and purposes, like a college course, uh, f- you know, three months at a time for four years. That the instructors haven't already been sharing his material that you can look for free and see it to share who who Paul is. It just absolutely blows my mind. And then you know, the more I think of it, it's like, well, no, because those instructors maybe at that age are not on YouTube as much as I am and was. Never came across that yeah. maybe they go home at night and they don't look at auto repair on YouTube and, and nerd out to it, right? So maybe they don't, but it's just, it boggles my mind how the shop owners, especially that when we think, you know, they're only netting 5%, that they aren't made, do they not, Mike, do they not see that as they're struggling and then they don't reach out? Is it a pride thing or is it just, they're not in their mind, they're not struggling. It's just always the way it's been.
1: Yeah. They're netting 5%, but you know, they're making 85 to a hundred thousand dollars a year and they're, their own boss and they got a bass boat and they got a cool F-250 and uh, maybe they got a drag car that takes up one of the bays that should be turning revenue (laughs) and and employing a technician, you know, they're okay with the life that they got. And, you know, maybe the life is better than their life ever was before. And maybe it's better than their parents' life was. And it's a step up for them. And I can't fault them for being comfortable in that, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, I, to what you were talking about with, with the instructors at the school, not, you know, at least exposing their students to something like Paul mm-hmm. or some of the other guys that are out there uh, with channels. Um, I'm concerned about uh, the quality of the skill set and the knowledge of the instructors mm-hmm. in our technical schools because um, the technical schools can't afford to pay yeah. well enough to get really high school guys because really high school guys have a very valuable skill yeah. and they're going to be out there earning right so you're going to make 120 hundred and thirty thousand a year with your skill fixing cars that car came in and it's broke and that family's stressed out and at the end of the day it left out of here and it was running great and i and i saved the day yeah. And I made a ton of money yeah. doing it. That's pretty cool. Or I'm going to go to tech school and make $65,000 a year. I don't know how much tech schools right. pay. Uh, I know it's not a ton. Uh, and I'm going to deal with 15% of my students are passionate and love it and care about it. And 60% are m- mediocre. They may wash out, they may not. And then the other ones Are staring at their phone the whole time and don't just had
0: to sign up for something. Mom and dad said you're going to college for whatever, so something. So
1: what's what's more fulfilling? Yeah. So how are you going to get how are you going to get good teachers?
0: I think the teachers they're they're they do it for that fifteen percent. Honestly, they're not doing it for the money, and I think they're doing it for that fifteen percent. And I think they're they're doing it of that fifteen percent to see one. Become the next uh, Brendan Steckler, or Keith Perkins, or Brian Pollock, or you know uh, brendan Dills. It's any any one of these names, we can you know. There's a Marriott of it's.
1: If any of you guys want to move to North Carolina? It's a great place to live. see. I'm
0: here's saying. what I gotta say: for me, being up in this cold Great White North, what is it with North Carolina? And it seems to be like so many people that are the top tier shops and talent. Seem to be all within that state. What is it? Is it just because of like you guys all kind of got organized early and started to make yourselves or what, what is that? What is it about that state? Cause Brian and I, Paul and I talk about it and it is like the epicenter of aftermarket repair that has its shit together. And why is it? I don't know. I mean, it's,
1: there definitely seems to be a high density of like smart,
0: like Dutch is, Dutch is there. Like Lucas is just, there. You know, like uh, yeah. you're there. I'm-
1: uh, I mean, Brandon's down here. Um, you know, uh, Jim Kakonas mm-hmm. is right here, and Isaac Rodell's right here. And I mean, I don't. I mean, there's a lot of smart, uh-huh. smart individuals, and I think our trade association uh, has helped to bring training to North Carolina at a high right. level. Uh, and if you're exposed to training early on, you tend to accelerate your growth faster, so you get to a higher level, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, everybody's heard Lucas tell his origin story a half dozen Mm -hmm. times, right? Uh, That he was a one-man operation who was ready to fold up shop and go back to the dealership to work. And he came to ASTE and the director of our association at that time, pulled him out of a technical class and shoved him into a management Mm -hmm. class. And it changed his life, right? And so, and you see how he's had this like stratospheric rise over the last you know, five, six years. And there's, so there's the availability of training. And then there's this organized group of passionate shop owners and technicians that are trying to draw trainers in. Yeah. And we've also, it's also the home of Advanced Auto Parts and Clark West Technical Institute and Worldpack yeah. Technical Institute is all centered here in Raleigh. Yeah. So we've got those trainers that go all over the country. They live yeah. here, right? So that helps. So it's just, there's a lot of factors that came together to do that, and I'm I probably shouldn't be doing this uh, on recordings because I am going to be taken over as the president of the uh, ASTA oh. uh, after the after the show this year after ASTE. Um, I'm the vice president now, and I guess I uh, have to become a little bit more well polished. I got to go to the Lucas Underwood School of how to say a lot without saying yeah. anything. Um, Lucas, that was for you, buddy. <laughs> uh, so. Um, but you know, there's, we're, we've got 650 members. We've got 650 people who are willing to invest annually in bettering themselves and their business and the industry. Uh, and there's value to that.
0: Cause I mean, like I cry out all the time, if we could just get something, the size of ASTE or something, the size of vision to come to Canada, I think we could really make some change happen up here and this is not that's not me crapping on my country and saying oh we're we're so far behind you guys that's not the case at all that's not what i'm trying to say it's just that it seems really lonely sometimes up here when i'm constantly talking to people in north carolina that are like really sharp and really have their their stuff together it's I i bet you could get something like that in Toronto or
1: something—that's a big enough metro area that you'd be able to pull something together. Yeah, but
0: Toronto's two. You,
1: you need ten or fifteen really strong personalities yeah. to start something like yeah. that. And
0: I—I I would dare to say that if I stepped too far away from maybe the the industry group, changing industry, the ASOG group, and started to actually go outside of those groups and start to talk about—have you ever heard of ASOG up here in Canada? They'd go, "What?" You know what I mean? Like it's—it's. It's, I want to say it's that bleak, and maybe I'm wrong. Because, but if we were to do a poll in in changing industry and ASOG of how many are actually in the Canadian contingent, I dare to say it wouldn't even be 20%. So when we talk about that's a whole country, that only 20% is getting represented in one Facebook group. And then we see how many more training opportunities and whatnot are available. And I'm not saying it's a wasteland where there's no training, but I mean, there's nothing like, you know, nothing...
1: Well, there there are some Canadian-based management trainers. Yeah. You know, the dude the dude who uh, changed my dad's life and therefore my family's life for, generationally right was uh, Canadian. Uh, uh, Greenwood? No. No. He de- I don't know if he even coaches anymore. He might be retired. Kelly Bennett.
0: Okay, I remember the name. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I think he was in a car accident or something, and I, I don't know if he's still coaching. But like my family. Is in a better place, generationally, because of the lessons that he taught my dad. But he had to come down to North Carolina to do it. And my trade association is what drug him down here, yeah. right? So yeah. I think you need to get group regionally. There need to be groups of like-minded industry pe- personnel, and doesn't have to be just shop mm. owners, right? Because you know we'll have a thousand people at ASTE this year, maybe more, uh, and half of them will, will not be shop yeah. owners. They'll be technicians seeking betterment of their skill set, yeah. right? or service advisors, learning how to, you know, deal with angry customers or break bad news or whatever it yeah. might be, right? So, find find a group of like-minded individuals in our trade that are desirous of improvement. And then just, you know, meet after work one day a mm-hmm. month, talk about life, talk about shared experiences and develop an understanding that there's more cars out there than I can work yep. on, or than you can work on, or than he can work on. And we're not competition with each yes. other. Frankly, frankly, our competition in my mind, our competition is the manufacturer, is the dealership, yep. Yep. Um, and so uh, once you can get a community of people together who understand that it's okay to share with each other because we're not, we're not cutting each other's yep. throat, um, then you can start to gain traction and gain uh, momentum
0: towards something. And as different. I can, I can say this as a former dealer tech, I never understood why more in the aftermarket didn't get banded together because i mean really we're already so like the dealer plays dirty you know what i mean like they they know every dirty trick and they and they use it whether it's locked out information or you know locked out tooling or whatever like that that's just that's on the oe side when you go to the dealer level it's next level slime in terms of how they will do it to keep mrs smith at the dealer and not in you know
1: it's fear-based selling yeah, you know, so thing when I see
0: the the independent shops that are always worried about, well, the guy across the street from me, if I go to one hundred dollars an hour door rate, he like I'm gonna he's still at ninety, and he, I'm gonna lose all my customers to him. Like if you just walked over there and shook each other's hands and said we're both gonna be a hundred, and you know like or we're both gonna be a hundred and twenty, and then let's try and get all the customers we can out of the dealer and into our two shops, and then you combine that by you know, all oh, I know a shop and I know a shop and you get everybody thinking on the same wavelength. You really, so
1: I, I got to say this. Um, you can't go over and say we'll both be a hundred or 120 because that's price fixing and there are antitrust laws in, uh, United States. And we'll go to federal prison right. for that. But what you can say is your price has nothing to do with my right. price. I, I got a text message today from a service advisor who works on a 10 miles from me, he used to work for me for a long mm-hmm. time and we're still friends. And he said, Hey, we had a computer glitch and we lost all of our BG fluid service pricing. What are you charging for BG services? And I said, you know, frankly, I don't know anymore. Cause I haven't been on the price setting stage for a while. I said, you can text and I, my GM who he knows, so you can text him and he'll tell you, but don't forget what I charge has got nothing to do with right. what you charge. What you charge is your expenses and your desired profit. Mm-hmm. And you know that because I've taught you that. So set your price and run with it, dude. Because they're not gonna leave you and come to me because your transmission service is nine dollars more than than mine.
0: Right. Good point. Uh, Good point. So when when you mentioned bass boat, uh, from a (laughs) from a shop owner's perspective, is one boat enough?
1: Well, I don't know if you know, I, I did a Zoom, uh, just yes. a, a casual conversation Zoom the other day uh, in the group. And the password to log into the Zoom was two boats. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, uh, so all kidding aside, uh, no. I mean, I, I think uh, we all have our expensive hobbies mm-hmm. and our, our our poor choices financially, right? The basketball is ne- no. Mine was having three yeah. kids. But,
0: uh, the basketball is no poor choice to spend money on, I can tell you right now. I don't have one. but it is the end goal it is the end goal but i mean so and it, it that's sometimes i think really hard is the and i was guilty of that sometimes is that the the employee looks at what the employer has you know you talk about the race car right and that always triggered me because i've seen so many shops and they had a race car and it just sat in the bay you know and uh nothing happened in that Bay other than maybe fixing the car to go blow it up next weekend. Right. And there was so many shop hours, allotted to this, you know, race car. And I, I'd, I'd shake my head at that and be like, at the end of the year, how much does that really cost? Right. And then we would say, okay, it's not a race car, but then say Mrs. Shop owner shows up on Friday and gets her car detailed. And that's, you know, that, that ties up a Bay and all this kind of stuff. And I used to sit there and go, Like, they're just rolling in money and they're just flaunting it. I, As I've got to meet more owners and talk with more owners, I realize that most are not doing that. You know what I mean? There are still some bad apples that tend to. And I don't think they necessarily intentionally flaunt it. But you know what I mean, right? It's It's like, have you seen that meme where it's like, well, that's a really nice car, boss? And he's like, yep. And if you work really hard this year, next year, I can buy another one. You know, I used to, that used to resonate so strongly with what I thought was everything that was wrong with this industry. And I realized that I should be more complimentary of when I see an owner that can actually have that because there's so many right now that don't, you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're barely getting.
1: Well, it's okay if they have that, as long as they didn't do it by shitting on their team. Yeah. Uh, You know, and it's, you know, I, the first new vehicle I ever purchased for myself uh, was last year. I got a 2022 Silverado mm-hmm. uh, Trail Boss. You know, I just I, I needed a pickup truck for the company. I went and bought it, and that's the first time I've ever done that. Before that, my Forerunner had 340 thousand wow. miles on it, um, and it, you know, and it's it's still running. It's a great it's a great Forerunner, but you know those things are worth their weight in gold yeah. anyway. Anyway, but. Uh, You know, for whatever reason, I don't know what the history of this is. The industry says that if you're running a really good shop, you should have 20% net profit. Mm -hmm. So if your shop's doing a million dollars, you should make 200000 That's really rare. Uh, It happens uh, in our circles uh, because of the the people that we run run with. uh, We're trying to surround ourselves with high operators, right? I made a choice years ago. I place a very high value on having time uh, with my family and time to do the things I want to do. Like take my kid and get him a a mohawk. Uh I didn't have to be at the shop. So I'm okay with significantly less profit than that 20% target because I pay a lot of people really well and I give them good benefits so that they will, you know, love their job and want to do well and want to uh, want the company to do well. 5% is not sustainable, right? (laughs) But, uh, you know, do I have a bunch of bass boats? No, that's not my thing. I got a bunch of guns because that is my thing. You know, I like that. America. (laughs) Fuck yeah. So, you know, there's, you should, if you're in business for yourself, it is to take care of your people, to take care of your customers, take care of your family, and, you know, to better your position in life. Uh, And, you know, profit's not a dirty word.
0: And, and it was, it's, it's been an eye opening thing to me as I've met more people and I see that they're, I don't want to say struggling. But they're building towards that, and I, I'm I'm much better now at not judging when I see somebody that has something that I don't. Immediately jumping to that negative headspace that you know, oh, I had to go without so that they got that, and that's not really what it's all about. And it's not you know, it, it's comparing apples to oranges again, right? It's it's doesn't it's irrelevant, you know.
1: I mean, perception matters, right? I have a friend who has a shop and had it. He sold it now. He's retired. He, had a shop in Chicagoland and he bought um, whatever the big Mercedes SUV mm-hmm. is. Uh, and he had it for three months. He'd go into the shop, it was hey boss, must be nice. And it was from that was from from the team and from the customers it was, gosh, I guess I am paying too much if you're driving that. Right. Yeah. And he went and traded it in and he got a Yukon denali uh, and all of that stopped. Mm-hmm. There was not a significant price difference no. between the two, sure. right? but it was the perception.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So in closing, Mike, what do you, I mean, you've given us all a lot of pearls, but where, you know, give us, no, it's for sure, for sure. You, you, sh- you snicker at that, but I mean, it's true. Where, where do you see, like, if you're going to give one piece of advice to owners and one piece of advice to techs? Let's do, let's close it out with that.
1: One piece of advice to owners is, um, I am living proof of the benefit of learning from the mistakes of others so that you don't have to make those mistakes yourself. And, uh, so s- seek out training. That being said, not all trainers are the same. Yeah. Not all trainers will teach you the way that you want to do business. Understand how you want to do business and seek out a trainer that aligns with your values. Don't wait until you can afford it. Do it now. Sell the bass boat if you have to. Sell the race. Well, one, sell the race car either yeah. way. Don't have any projects in a bay. Yep. You know, anyway, that's the tangent. A piece of advice for uh, a technician, a technician who wants to be a career technician, um, I think you need to invest heavily in yourself and in training, not in tools and tool storage, but in training. Mm-hmm because your body will fail and you need to be able to make your money with your brain. Um, So seek knowledge and skill around emerging technology and using your brain rather than your back. Uh, If you're a technician that wants to own your own business one day, a lot of the same things that I'm talking about, but also you need to learn about the basics of business operation and human communication. So, um, Dale Carnegie wrote a book called how to win friends and influence yep. people. And, uh, uh, Mike, I don't remember McCallowitz or something like that. Um, uh, profit first. So master how to win friends and influence people and understand profit first and the e-myth yeah.
0: and you can open your own business. That's awesome. Mike, that is fantastic. That's exactly, we had that conversation just yesterday, uh, with another podcast that'll be dropped. And I said that very same thing about how the end goal always for me was to try and see more of us develop our brain as techs. So that as the body slowed and weakened and and got ailments, you could stay at least close to that pay level by being able to get the jobs that other people couldn't get or couldn't do or didn't want to do because... Or be a shop foreman, yes.
1: or be a teacher, or whatever yeah. it might be. But you need to have the yeah. skills.
0: It was is to develop that brain. So that as the body slows down and you can't hustle physically, you can hustle mentally. But uh, I, man, I just want to say thank you. This was been, you know, I think this was like if you did well. Like we, we we started off with this. If you if you'd have told me two years ago when you were talking flat rate is the greatest thing in the world, and I was half drunk, saying, uh, "Lucas, I'm going to punch that guy right in the mouth." I never thought that we'd be sitting here having this conversation. And and you and I are a lot more alike than we're different. And it's not just because of the career that we chose, but it just is the way it is. And I, I want to thank you, honestly, for being here. You know, I say this in a lot of the podcasts. You all are coming back for second and third episodes. It's going to be a revolving door because, I mean, the the end goal to this is to get people familiar with the, the top 10% to where they're familiar with, they know their stories and they know where their core values are and what they think because I want to shine the light on the people that are the 10% and I want the people that are seeing them to see that it's possible, that you can get there. And then if we do that, I think then it's not 10% anymore. It's 20%. You know what I mean? Huge difference, big number. And, and, yeah. and if we can get that, then we get this industry changed. And I think that that's, that's all that this is about and I appreciate every guest that comes on here and 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 spends this little bit of such you know time is time is so valuable because you know this is the only way we get this change is we have these conversations and you know I want people to well
1: I'm I'm excited to have been here and ha- I appreciate you having me on and I can't wait to be back on. I want you to get Dutch and Brian yeah. And the two of us and, uh, I mean, can you get Paul on here? Uh, I, I'd love to hear him talk about issues rather he, than just, he is, uh, repair. He's
0: agreed to be a, uh, a guest as well. There's, I, there's, there's like 30 people that are, that are knocking on the door to, to, to be on here. So, I mean, I'm recording. It's, hey man, believe it. Yeah. Uh,
1: the fact that you've got a list of who's who that want to be on with you speaks to the voice that you're developing yeah. in this field. Yeah and that's a good thing it's only good things come from that.
0: and that's exactly it and i have you know i have lucas to thank for that i really do I have lucas and david to thank for that because they gave me the platform to not just be some grouchy you know and 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 they didn't have to push me they just kind of had to show me a different a different perspective and then it was like okay, now I know what I need to do. I'm not going to be a Paul Downer in terms of teaching people how to fix cars, you know, and high-end diagnostics. But I have, for some strange reason, people seem to gravitate to want to hear what I have to say about a certain topic. And, you know, it resonates with people. And I don't know why that is. Lucas has it too. And you know what? If if everybody wants to come on here and, and hear me rant and we'll discuss a topic, please get a hold of me. Let me know. I Anybody is welcome. I will discuss anything with anyone. And I think that
1: that's... You're correct to thank David. Yeah. Stop inflating Lucas's ego. It's already bad enough to control.
0: <laughs> so. Listen, when his looks leave him, he's going to be screwed. That's all I've got to say. He's a pretty, pretty man. Yeah, he is. Well, Mike, I will thank you very much. And uh, we'll have, Thanks, we'll have you on again for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, if you could do me a great favor real quick and like, comment, and share this episode, I'd really appreciate it. And please, most importantly, subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. As always, I'd like to thank our awesome guests for the perspectives and expertise, and I hope that you'll join us again on this journey of change. Thank you to the ASAP Group and to the Change in the Industry Podcast. Remember what I've always said, in this industry, you get what you pay for. Here's hoping everybody finds the missing 10mm, and we'll see you all again next time.